0: Hello Mentors, welcome to our podcast series, Mentorships in Education, brought to you by Just Education at JustEducationFirst.com. I am your host, Judy Epstein. I am very excited about the wide range of experts who have volunteered to give up their time and expertise. They will share their innovative ideas, their exciting perspectives, their rich resources, and their research with us. Please continue to delve into these topics on their websites and with your legal counsel, healthcare provider, and education professional. Our guests have information that will be relevant to mentors supporting struggling students, parents, teachers, administrators, legal support, and health professionals. We will address all levels of education with issues that affect academic performance. Our goal is to open discussions and introduce a variety of approaches to those searching for information in a free venue. So mentors, let me introduce our guest for today. Hello mentors, this is Judy Epstein, your host from Just Education at JustEducationFirst.com. Welcome to our Mentorship in Education podcast series. We've been introducing and discussing several approaches to learning and learning styles. And I have tried to incorporate some of the associated issues with those learning styles as we've spoken to different guests. And our goal is to create a library that's free so that people who are working with uh, struggling students can find a resource to help direct them to some information and answer some of the questions that they have. A unique perspective today is going to be shared by our guest. I'm going to introduce Woody Cliff. Hello, Woody. Good morning. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Woody and I have had some challenges to get this off the ground, and I want to thank him for his patience in, uh, in following through and being here today. Before I get into a discussion with Woody, though, um, I'd like to tell you a little bit about his background. Woody is the director of the DYS Education Initiative at the Collaborative for Educational Services in Massachusetts. Uh, His main role is to create and sustain high-quality educational experiences for youth in the juvenile justice system. He's had over 20 years experience in working with stakeholders, people who are involved in this process across all of the disciplines to improve the social, emotional, and educational life outcomes for this population. He's worked in schools to develop early intervention programs and help to implement them as well as train mentors, uh, of teach, uh, which include teachers and administrators, and I imagine at some point parents are involved in that or guardians uh, would be involved in that. I'll have to ask you about that more later. Uh, he's a licensed superintendent. He's a licensed principal in Massachusetts. He has a PhD in education policy, as well as leadership uh, in, and administration. And, drumroll please, <laughs> he is a national champion at Ultimate Frisbee at the Grand Masters level. I love that.
1: <laughs> How about that? Yes. <laughs>
0: So I'm sure we'll, we'll hear a little bit about that as we uh, begin to talk. But you have a rather interesting background, um, and I can see where it would connect with what you have chosen to do. Perhaps you'd like to talk a little bit, Woody, about your background and how that led you into working with such a challenging population.
1: Uh, sure thing, Judy. Thank you first of all for um, that interview and and also, um, I appreciate your patience and persistence in our technical <laughs> challenges along the way so um, a little bit about my background. I was uh, raised in washington d c and um, and uh, uh, my family uh, Moved there from uh, Decatur, Georgia. So if you hear a little Southern uh, drawl, that's where that comes from. It's hard to shake. Uh Um, And uh, moved to Washington D.C. and I went to the D.C. public schools during the uh, crack epidemic of the nation, when Washington D.C. was a um, uh, known as the murder capital of the of the nation. Oh my gosh! And uh, it was not uncommon for me in um mostly in high school to see young people um really struggling with uh the the societal factors that were impacting their lives poverty oppression racism institutional and otherwise um and uh drugs and uh saw guns uh in our schools and you really had to um you know, fight for your education. Oh my it gosh. had to be a priority for you. And, um, you know, I had more uh, means, if you will. Uh, you know, my mom uh, was a, a budding journalist at the time, and uh, we received a fair amount of, I received a fair amount of support. And when I went to school, uh, I was one of those kids who, uh, I would just say, was focused on learning. I was uh, perhaps I wasn't dealing with, can I eat uh, when right. I get home today? Right. Right. Uh, what will I find when I get home today? And so the DC public schools were quite a challenging environment. And while I was there, I saw a fair amount of inequities in terms of, um, you know, who got their education, who was attended to uh, and, uh and, I I had a, uh, a a really it was a challenging uh, experience, but what I learned at that time was that a teacher can make a huge difference in your life. <laughs> and um, a teacher, uh, 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 my social studies teacher, uh, told me about an essay contest uh, where uh, we it was about apartheid and how apartheid might end. And I entered. I had no thoughts that I was going to win this (laughs) essay contest, but I did. Uh, And uh, the grand, yeah, it was quite a, um, I mean, it was a DC wide essay contest and I won this trip to uh, West Africa as the grand prize. Wow. I was a little 15 year old boy, I'd like to say at that time. And I was traveling by myself to uh, West Africa and that trip side by side with what that teacher did for me to help me believe in myself um, was I would say the beginning of my mission to work at the intersection between social justice and education.
0: That, that, that's amazing. I can't even imagine about how a 15-year-old would feel uh, on, his, on his or her way to Africa. I mean, talk about culture shock that's and, right. and language barriers and um, – uh, that would be pretty amazing. Uh, did you go on to do any more writing? I'm curious.
1: Um, I I love to write. I haven't found that as a passion, um, uh, at, in the same way that my mom uh, does. Uh, she pursues. Uh, she's a journalist, and uh, she helped bring out my best uh, writing skills as a young as a young writer, budding writer in high school with the red paint, the red ink. And the, oh. you know, the <laughs> uh, but you know it was all done with care and compassion so it did bring out the best in my writing skills
0: so it didn't damage your ego all that much
1: no actually I no. think it helped that's good
0: yeah. um Woody I want to talk to you a little bit about the population of students that you work with mm-hmm. in terms of how you remediate or attempt to remediate some of the behavior that you see. And um, one of the things that I struggled with um, as a teacher working with a very similar population in a different capacity, um, was the difference between discipline and uh, consequences. And and the battle, you know, that we sometimes want to engage ourselves in as a teacher in the classroom about, a, you know, the power struggle, the constant power struggle. So can you kind of address your your um, philosophy on that and how you apply it to some of the things that you do with, this, with these kids?
1: Absolutely. So I, I think if there's a word to describe me, I would say alternative is mm-hmm. the word that um, is a... Through line throughout uh, in my life, um, I, I, I have found that somehow, some way, the notion of discipline became substituted for learning when mm-hmm. a young person makes a mistake. Mm-hmm. And um, boy, that's this, sad. Yeah, and this mm-hmm. notion of, of discipline and punishment as a way of. Uh, teaching alternative behaviors uh, is deeply flawed. And yet, schools have been constructed around, um, uh, in many ways, this idea of, uh, you know, you, you break a rule, you get sent to the principal's office, you get suspended, and uh, if you do it again, then another suspension and expulsion. And, and, and the negative deleterious conf- consequences of that type of pattern um, result in no, in maybe the school feeling um, like they've rid themselves of a problem, uh, but uh, the young person never learning how to change right. their behavior or understand the consequences of their behavior on their community, on their peers, on themselves. Uh, and so I, I really approach uh, my work – and the work that we've done uh, both throughout my professional career and in my work with Department of Youth Services uh, with this notion that every moment is a learning opportunity and uh, and that the challenge is uh, on us to help the young people understand that opportunity so that they can ha- make better choices for themselves and for their future. Um, so, That's that's the seed, or that's the guiding light that uh, that 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 I follow in the design of our work throughout uh, the state of Massachusetts. And um, I I I will say that uh, one of the luxuries we have in in our work, and I think is also a kind of boundary or uh, restriction that we place Uh on ourselves in public schools, is that we don't have enough time. We don't have time to do uh, t- to teach uh, appropriate behavior, respect, relationships, and rapport. It's all about uh, learning uh, specific content, skill, or knowledge, and we lost that uh, uh, that importance of social emotional development in oh. our uh, educational uh, system, and. If we can start to give ourselves the time, the permission of the time to learn, I think that both schools, young people, communities um, will uh, thrive in a much more productive way. The type of violence that we are seeing in today's society, I think, is premised on this notion of, of uh, uh, not premised, but rage and anger, and um, not the type of coping skills and community fabric that. Uh, we try and establish in our schools and we should strive to do more of.
0: The last time I spoke with you, you, uh, just to quote you, you said that um, one of your roles was to create conditions for success for these struggling youth. And you shared a little bit uh, with me about a story of a girl that you built a relationship with. Maybe I can segue into that because I think that's a, uh, a great story, and it's um, very um, it, it, it's an exemplar of that creating a condition for success
1: sure i'd I'd be glad to bring her into this conversation um, and, and I appreciate that segue uh, <laughs> um, so this is a young lady who uh, uh, when I was working in the Oakland public schools uh, an alternative program out there um, who really struggled in the in the typical classroom. She had uh, deep traumatic um, wounds uh, from her past and uh, was extremely angry and rageful and um, would act out in class, sometimes just fall on the ground and start tantruming, kicking on the floor. And she used really quite uh, derogatory terms towards uh, her peers, um, racial terms that would tend to provoke others in the classroom.
0: Can you give us an age range where?
1: Absolutely. So she, this is elementary school. So she was, uh, about, I think she was 10 years old.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and there were the peers, it was a mixed, uh, grouping class. So there were some peers who were a little bit older and uh-huh. some who were a little bit younger. Okay. okay. Um, and she uh she would just drop different f bombs and various <laughs> various um uh curse words in the middle of class and it wasn't it was really to try and uh her intention i think was to create distraction and attention and um and in really negative ways so over time i built, my job was to really develop a relationship with her and to help her come up with new ways of uh, dealing with or or getting what she wanted in a more productive um, manner. Um, So, uh, you know, we had been working on this for several months uh, during the beginning of the school year and she just was not changing her behavior in a way that um, was, I wasn't seeing the positive changes and maybe limited small changes, but not enough to get her through uh, a full class period, so uh, um, one day i we just had this deci- I decided that we had had enough I had had enough, and it was um, in the sense that I needed to try something new, and uh, she fell on the floor, she was kicking and screaming, and curse words flying out of her mouth and and somehow i i don 't really remember how this happened, but somehow I was able to. Convince her to come with me out of the classroom down to this room. It's kind of a, a calming room um, for uh, for young people who you know were having serious challenges. So
0: that's an. I'm going to stop you one second. Yeah. That's an interesting concept, a calming room. I want to come yep. back to that later.
1: Okay. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah, and so, and yeah, absolutely. We'll come back to that. And the calm, And so she and I spent a little time uh, down in the room together and she was yelling and screaming and cursing at me and cursing at everybody and and you know occasionally i'd try and interrupt uh the the cursing and she was still having at it so i just i just i just committed the time to having her go through this period where she was acting out and raging where she would settle down hit that kind of um uh, calming period and be able to then think again, to be able uh-huh. to then engage again. Uh-huh. And this is just the psychology of, of, of that type of emotion. You can't yeah. think straight when you're in the midst of it. Right. So I had a little time with her and, uh, at the, um, uh, and as I said to you in our last, uh, conversation, I'm a little ashamed of what uh, follows in the sense that it's not a perfect intervention. I don't think I would do it again the same way. Uh, But I I needed to give her something to occupy herself as she was calming down. And uh, I asked her to do, um, uh, I asked her to write lines and these are non-invergible, go to intervention anymore, but it was, I will not cuss. I will not cuss. I will not cuss. And she wrote, you know, front and back. So she did it. Uh, she wrote it and she handed it to me and she had a little bit of a smile on her face and <laughs> she was proud and I was proud of her actually. Um, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't going to settle the, uh, we hadn't made the breakthrough yet. And uh, she handed it to me and I I said, well, uh, this doesn't have a name on it. How am I going to know who did this? And she looks at me quizzically and she just she grabs the paper back and she writes her first name and hands it back. And I said, well, you know, there's another person with this name in the class or uh, in the school. So, how, uh, you know, there's got to be a last name. So she hands it back to me and uh the last name is a chosen four letter uh <laughs> word and and uh I just started uh, i i had a <laughs> smile on my face and she had a smile on her face and i and I said, okay now going forward that's the word and that's not those are the words that we cannot use in class and here are some words and we we had a little bit of a moment where we talked about other um, words that she can use we even I love and that. That continued and from that point forward, I, honestly, I cannot recall a time in which she started using those words, derogatory words towards her peers or in, a, in an explosion. She was using funny words, fudge. Right. She using. I mean, she was still some of the tantruming was there, but it started to deescalate uh, over time. And and, and and really the kernel of that story, Judy, is that I had a relationship with her. Yes, that's the most and important part. And, and because of that, and the trust that she and I had uh, uh-huh. developed, and the fact that I cared about her, but I wasn't going to coddle her,
0: uh-huh.
1: which I think is a really important distinction, sometimes lost in, in the eyes of, uh, of uh-huh. teachers who come into the, profession, into the profession who care deeply, but I cared about her, but I had high expectations for her. I, I expected that she would rise to meet those uh, mm-hmm. expectations. And she did. She did. And uh, in fact, uh, those of you on the radio are, uh, can't see this, but uh, on the board behind us is that uh, are her lines that say, I will not cuss, I will not cuss, I will not cuss. Because she changed my life as well.
0: You say that it might not have been the best approach, that you're not sure you would use it again. Yeah. Um, maybe you would or wouldn't use it again but she obviously felt something much more important in that process and it wasn't just her writing and your expectation of her to write but it was your expectation of her in the sense that she could do better and your willingness to give her the time and the opportunity to do better that's the way I see it and um you know, we, we're, we're fallible, too. We try things. And it, I used to tell my students that, um, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm going to try something. If it doesn't work, I'll try it again. And if they want to give me some feedback, I'm willing to listen to that. Uh, I just want to share one little story with you in that vein. Um, I used to work with this population of students also, uh, kids that were remanded by the courts that were in alternative schools and one of my um, high school students, I believe he's about 15, um, used to use the same language in class. It wasn't always when he was angry. Sometimes it was when he was responding to a request. He would say, F no, yeah. or if his pencil fell, it was F this or that or whatever word he wanted. And so um, I, it's funny that we did something very similar I had him come into my room one day and um, I said to him you know there are other F words let's look them up in the dictionary and he made a list of some of them and we narrowed it down to one or two or three I don't remember of F words that he could use in different situations and he was in the hall one day and the um, director of the school asked him to do something And, and he turned around to her and he said I don't really think that's feasible. And he walked away instead of saying, you know, <laughs> F no. And she came into me and she said, she told me what he did. And she said, you're the only one that would do that. She said, I was just my jaw dropped open. <laughs> <She> said, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe he did that. But, you know, it's so important to take the time mm. to to um, model some of the skills that these kids need because they have not had the opportunity to see anyone do anything differently than the way they're doing it. And you did that. And I think that she probably still remembers today if you were to talk to her that, that little, that special time with you. Um, Cliff, you mentioned to me again, when we were speaking that um, some of the, uh, alternative approaches, like the one you just described, that um, you use with the kids. Uh, You use the words positive intervention and supports, and you also talked about responsive classrooms. And maybe you can share a little bit about those with our mentors who are listening, who might be, particularly teachers, who might be looking for other ways to implement uh, behavior change in their classroom.
1: Uh, Absolutely. So, uh, but, but before I do, I just wanted to build on uh, your, um, your last story. Uh, First of all, fantastic that you (laughs) developed that command of a new word. Um, But, but what's underlying that is also a sense of agency um, that you offered him um, that he may not have held before. And uh, you know, Those words were probably words that gave him a a sense of power and maybe a little bit superficially. Um, But then when you transition, he can still have that sense of agency with a new word or a new phrase or new behavior. I think that is at the root of of. Success with all young people. It's about developing their sense of agency and identity and When you feel you can do something and you can make that thing happen and it has a positive effect Then you start to learn new ways of being and doing so I just wanted to pick that up and and I appreciate that that.
0: Thank you before we move into what I asked you. Can you um, Can you explain a little bit what you mean by agency
1: Sure. I, I, I'd love to. Um, I, what we want is not command and control in the classroom as a um, teacher that, that comes from the top down, but rather you want to create a learning community where people, where the students in your class um, feel that they have some ownership of the behaviors and norms of that community and their role in that community and their future in terms of their academic development. So agency is about how I feel as an individual and, and that I believe I can act on and make choices that will serve my better interests.
0: Is Um, it related to self-efficacy?
1: Yeah, it's very, very closely related to self-efficacy and, um, and and, and for me, it's just this. Uh, and as you get towards adolescence, it becomes even more important to recognize that uh, the dilemma of an adolescent is to become more agentic. And, um, and so how does a teacher establish um, a classroom where, where young people see relevance in what they're doing, that it's authentic to who they are. They see themselves in the curriculum and then they can act on that knowledge, uh, in, in their own learning and development. The teacher is more of the facilitator. It's very doing, uh, uh, of learning, uh, as opposed to, uh, facts and, um, and figures as the core of learning. Now we still are in that place where testing, uh, Uh, state tests and mandates uh, demand that kids learn a a bunch of knowledge and discrete knowledge and are less focused on um, uh, 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 the analytical thinking and persuasive writing that I think is what will make you a successful lifelong uh, learner in society. Uh But uh, I went off,
0: um, That's script okay. a little bit there. No, no, no. Um, I, I, I appreciate that. But because of what you just said, I'm going to throw in something before you get into um, my question about positive inter, uh, intervention and supports. You gave me a quote when we were um, talking a while ago about um, underlying assumption that control of a classroom is imposed. Mm-hmm that you did say identity and agency and how they relate. So can you talk about the positive intervention and supports and responsive classrooms mm-hmm. in conjunction with this sense that uh, as teachers, we often feel that we need to be in control of everything, mm-hmm. that there's mm-hmm. that power thing going on.
1: So uh, responsive classroom is a, uh, an approach – uh, that I it, uh, that I haven't uh, invented myself. It's something that has been uh, promoted as a uh, research-based approach, and I think it's even a curriculum that's used um, in uh, in schools across the country. Uh, and the approach is focused initially on what are our norms and uh, our community expectations that we're we're going to hold ourselves to and who are my classmates and who are my um uh who am i within this community and and so you really spend the initial part of the first month of school and then ongoing throughout the schooling period uh or academic year um establishing those norms and routines and getting to know one another and then having certain routines, uh, like a morning circle, uh, whereby, uh, you, uh, you, you continue to tighten that uh, thread that brings that fabric together in the community. And so, um, the, the core of that really is how do we create a learning community and we create some binds, uh, That connects us within within that learning community. And then uh, positive behavior supports another um, uh, national uh, uh, research based approach that many school districts uh, have adopted uh, is an approach that is um, both individual uh, focused um, and System-wide, a system-wide approach. So the whole school embraces an approach for um, uh, focusing on catching kids doing things right.
0: Oh, I and, like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and the more you catch somebody doing something right, if uh, you uh, find a way to acknowledge that and celebrate that in in connection to the types of the type of community you've talked about um, establishing. Um, So for instance, you want to have a community where we treat each other with kindness and compassion. If you catch somebody doing something within that, you find a way to celebrate that and lift that up. And in so doing young people begin to um, uh, cultivate the identity it is a positive identity, a sense of uh, care, caring and compassion. So you're lifting up those values and um, rewarding it so that it begins to cement uh, within the culture. And, um, and so that's how all of these things tie together. Uh, what we want to do is, uh, and I strongly believe, that everybody has a... Um, a yearning to be connected, to feel a part of something. And that could be something that could be um, mischievous. That could be something that could be, you know, part of a team um, or a community. And to the degree you can keep people um, in schools or in your classroom feeling like they're part of a community, something special and they're connected, they're seen, they're heard and that you're going to do everything you can to help bring out the best in them, you will, um, you will have the type of, and I I use this in a positive sense, control over your classroom um, that you imagine, or some of us may imagine is established through rules and consequences. So to the degree you can make it intrinsic versus extrinsic, Mm -hmm. um, you will the grease that makes learning happen uh, comes from that intrinsic motivation and um, uh, connectedness that that you try and establish as a teacher.
0: Do you think that um, students sometimes uh, misbehave or have have aberrant behavior in the classroom um, to get attention? And if we, if we recognize kids for positive responses and they get that same attention when they do something right as when they do something troublesome that the troublesome behavior um becomes less important to them uh,
1: absolutely and in fact um uh one of the if you can help a young person uh there was a young man uh that I worked with uh, again i'm going to go back to my days in oakland <laughs> and uh the young man um he used to uh act out so that uh he a certain adult who was responsible for the alternative classroom um like the in-house suspension room he <laughs> um he would get in trouble, so that he could go spend time with that that um, uh, adult. And so, once we were able to help him and w- see that this was what he was doing, and we all saw it, um, we just figured, okay, how can we structure this into your day so that you you can spend time with this man who you you deeply respect and you care about, and you don't have to get in trouble to go do it right. now. Um, what that also meant is that the teacher in the classroom had to um, be willing to let that student out in order to um, also have uh, over time that student spend more time in the class. So you're at this point where the young person's blown out of class three times a, di- a week. So, Let's just structure it 3 times a week you're going to go to class go spend time <laughs> with this te- this guy wow. and then over time we'll structure it so that you-, you spend more time in class. Now, that's a uh that's not always a luxury that all public schools have right, in terms right. of resources, but um uh, this was a small alternative school and um the the type of therapeutic interventions that we were able to put into place this would be uh one of them. I mean, uh uh, the, the, it's supposed get attention. Sometimes it's to get out of something, yeah. right? So, uh, and you maybe have that similar experience. But unfortunately, I hear too often young people say, "I'm not good at math." There's kind yeah. of a a math mindset that seems to have been accepted in uh, our culture that you can say, "I'm not good at math." You don't often hear young people say, "I'm not a good reader." It may be true, but they don't declare it so um, <laughs> openly. Uh-huh. And um, and so I have seen, and if you look at some, you know, there's ways to study this, like uh, behavior analysis. But if you see that every time, maybe 15 minutes before math class starts, that somebody has some difficulty or uh, an argument, then you can maybe put two and two together and say, okay, uh, uh, this young man or woman wants to get out of math class. So how then can we address, you know, whatever it is about math class, the phobia, the, the stigma that goes with uh-huh. it, uh, um, lack of self-efficacy or agency that we talked about earlier, how do you help shift that? And I think that's the, um, the craft of being a really effective teacher is knowing your young people. Um, knowing what motivates them and what scares them and helping to um, provision for those realities within your day-to-day lessons. Now in department of youth services, in our classes, this is not um, always easy. You have um, very small classes uh, and in the treatment settings, when a young person is committed to the department, you do have more time to get to know that young person and to, um, account for a relationship building but in you know in some ways in our detention settings young people can be there for a day um and up to two years depending upon the nature of the um offense that they're mm. being provisions uh, processed so a teacher doesn't have the um time to to try and build a relationship, something that you and I would think of, that is established through small um, trust-building opportunities over time. So really what that teacher has to do is demonstrate in every moment that they care about the young person before them, mm-hmm. um, regardless of where they are in their anger at the system or what have you, and that caring serves as a buffer for um, uh, that young person to start paying attention to what's being offered to them in the classroom. And uh, trust is not something that teachers should assume is easily um, established. And um in our settings in particular, trust is always chal- Is usually challenged in the sense that s- there's such a background of um, trauma and mistrust that is mm-hmm. rooted in the young person's life and spirit. So they're going to test uh, you. They've also learned very challenging behaviors to kind of avoid some of that um, uh, mistrust. And, and what comes with that and the trauma that could come with being vulnerable. So uh, I, I often say uh, that, th- that the very small acts that you can do over time will serve to create that trust. And that can be as simple as uh, how was your night last night or upholding the expectations in the classroom so that people feel safe showing yep showing up at work every day um and bringing your best uh self um, to to that work and and asking questions that show that you care that's how you develop the trust um and i I, i'll add one more thing judy which i think we talked about Uh once before which is one of the mistakes that i've seen um in public schools and and in uh our department uh, with our uh, workforce and is that sometimes people personalize the behaviors mm-hmm. of young mm-hmm. people
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh it it's understandable teachers are there because they're passionate about and care about kids and so um when They're challenged or confronted or otherwise, um, it's easy to take it personal, and that takes you nowhere positive. When you are engaged in a moment where a young person is challenging you, and you take it personally, um, it becomes a power struggle Uh very quickly, and you you need to do the best you can to separate the young person's behaviors from the young person and how they feel about you deeply. And don't personalize it. Um, Be prepared with certain uh, proposed solutions. Give yourself some time through that moment, but don't personalize it. Um, They could be mad
0: at their mother. They could be mad at women in general because they were betrayed. Uh, If it's a man in the classroom, they could have been beaten by Uh, a man that morning so uh, and this is the place where they get to speak up they couldn't do it before so it might not have anything to do with you as an individual
1: and in fact you're absolutely right that notion of um this is a space where they can now speak up right actually is a reflection if possible I, i mean of you as a teacher and the type of community you have established. I know it's counterintuitive, but, but it's true. And it's true. Very true. Right. And then you have to kind of funnel that type of uh, sense of safety towards a a more productive means. It may be a, a, you know, a, a a section of the room that you've established for calming. Um, And I've seen fantastic teachers do this where, um, you know, they've set aside a part of the room where there's a lot of kind of hands-on stuff that a young person can sit down. They can calm down. They need to take a quick break and then they can come back to class. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and some schools actually have um, rooms that are, as we talked about earlier, um, you know, a place where a student can calm down, talk to somebody they they trust and care about, and then return to the classroom. Um, And I I think that these strategies, though sometimes feel threatening to um, uh, the teacher in the sense that you're giving over control, you're letting a, a student miss a section of learning or go do something, and that you have to just continue the class. Um, the return on that investment and taking (laughs) that risk is really quite profound.
0: Um, I'm, I just want to share two things quickly because we're not here to talk about me, but um, I just wanted to share two things you touched on. Um, I did teach in a DYS uh, facility for a brief period of time, and uh, one of the best things that happened to me while I was teaching there was when I came into the classroom and one of my old students was there. Mm. And when you talk about developing trust, i didn 't have to develop trust with the whole class because he got up and told them that you know about me and um, and so I had that trust, and there were um, guards in the classroom. And when I left, this student, two other students, and two of the guards wrote me recommendations because they said I deserved to get a job somewhere else. I <laughs> thought that was really sweet. Um, and, and then I just wanted to mention to you that um, I used to run, you mentioned in-house suspension rooms. I used to run in-house suspension rooms, both in the school and also in the local police station. And the teachers would come in to bring work in uh, to one of the students that got kicked out. And all my kids would always be working or doing something, you know, working in groups or working together. And the teachers would say to me, you know, I can't have one of them in the classroom. How do you have 10 in the Mm. classroom? And it's all about trust and respect. That's what it's about. It's about trust and respect. Um, When I used to do workshops with teachers, um, I used to tell them all the, those lists of rules you have on the board, all those, you know, things that kid, you know, raise your hand and before, and, and don't speak over somebody and everything was, you know, delineated. There'd be 15 rules on the wall or whatever. I said, all you need is two, two signs in your room, trust and respect. And you say to the kids, I'm going to work hard to earn your trust. I hope you'll work hard to earn mine. Mm -hmm. And I want to earn your respect. Mm -hmm. And so I will do whatever you think I need to do to earn your respect. And I hope you will earn my respect. And that those are the only two rules we had in the room. So when someone would start talking, when I was talking and I would look at them, one of the other kids would say, say to them, because I had said it so many times, is that respect? Is -hmm. that respectful? Are you showing her respect? Mm hmm. And it's, it's a good feeling. To, it takes time, but it's, as you say, it's just as important as the academics. Just as important as the academics. Yeah, I, know I appreciate
1: that, those stories. Those I,
0: I know that you um, do uh, workshops with teachers. And one of the things you listed as, um, as developing with the teachers is the idea of personalizing the behavior making them aware of not personalizing the behavior. Um, You kind of touched on a couple of others, but maybe there, I know there are five others, uh, big mistakes that you feel that teachers make. um, And these six uh, form a basis for the workshops you do with the teachers. Can you talk a little bit about those in particular because i i would like our mentors who are listening and i think parents would benefit from this also not personalizing the blow up of someone uh, you know one of their kids because something could have happened at school and home is the safe place for them to explode too Mm -hmm. so maybe you can share some of these in a little more detail please
1: i'll I'll do my best well okay I, i um uh, you know, the, so we've talked a little bit about not personalizing yes. uh, uh, behaviors in the classroom and, um, and, and if you end up uh, personalizing the behaviors, you will find yourself in a power struggle. And, and so to the degree we can help teachers both learn how to extricate themselves uh-huh. from a power struggle um, uh, when they find themselves in it because it's inevitable that you will um, get triggered at some point as a teacher and how do you find your way out of that um, when I was in uh, again uh, in oakland one of the things we we had um a a code word that we used among uh teacher and paraprofessional that was uh you have a phone call it wasn't a phone, it was a it was a phrase and and so that sense was a way in which we as the adults, the caring adults in the room recognize, as you point out earlier, that we're all fallible mm-hmm. uh, uh, to uh, intervene in that moment when somebody has gotten under our skin and we're, it's not bringing out our best selves as the adults. <laughs> so uh, one, it's uh, having some tools in your toolbox to know when you are um, engaged in that power conflict it may also just be self-awareness. So what are the um, feelings I have in my body when I'm engaged in this, um, uh, when I'm caught in a power struggle? And how do I recognize those uh, and uh, change the script in that moment from whatever I'm engaged in locking horns with a student to something that's more uh, productive? And so uh, that's, important. um,
0: So the first thing you're saying that teachers need to be aware of uh, and parents and anyone who works with kids Mm -hmm. needs to be aware of what's what the dynamics are of the relationship that they're having with the student and if it if they're aware that it's becoming a power issue Mm -hmm. that that needs to be redirected into something more productive.
1: That's right. You try and diffuse the power over situation and try and find a way to be power with um, the student as opposed to I'm in control right now. Because what that often leads to, and this is another one of my um, uh, uh, framework principles, is it results in this um, old mental model of, okay, I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to kick you out of class or I'm going to send you um, into the hallway um, and uh, uh, go see the principal. And the the negative effect of kicking someone out of class or sending them um, to the vice principal's office or principal's office in a typical public school is that you give up your, um, you give up your agency as a, teacher with that student and 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 you compromise your uh your uh, trust and rapport that you may have worked so hard to establish so in essence you're saying i can't deal with you i can't reinforce the norms in this class Mm. i can't um uh, uh hold everybody accountable right now through a um our fabric in our community, I'm giving up on it and I'm sending you away. And, um, and so the lesson there for the young person is, Oh, all that work that we've been working on, it's really, uh, there's a point at which it goes out the window and I'm, and so the teacher loses some control in that. in when they make that choice of disciplining and sending somebody out of the room. Now, don't get me wrong. If, if there's violence towards others being perpetrated or aggression, um, uh, you do have to maintain the safety and community norms of others in your classroom. And that also might mean that the rest of you um, stand up and leave the class and call someone else in. But um, th- those should be very few and far between as far as um, that type of intervention to the degree a teacher can in those moments, hold the class accountable. And you, you brought it up with a young person who actually said, now, is that being respectful? So over time you had established a classroom culture and norm of, um, of being respectful to one another about Identifying when somebody might not be being respectful and then recasting the, the moment into a learning moment for uh, the whole class. And over and over and over again, that just becomes the heartbeat of your classroom. So in the same way, when a young person, um, uh, we, we actually had a, a similar situation recently. A young person was um, new to a program. We get new students whenever a judge sends them to us. And, um, the, the teacher I was talking to said, uh, that the student was challenging, um, the, the computer norms in the classroom. So appropriate use of the computers and the other, the other students said, uh, we don't do that in here. Uh, (laughs) you know, uh, Mr. B, Mr. B will, will be good to, I forget how it was, but it was like, Mr. B will, Mr. B's got your back. Just don't. Just knock off what you're doing. It was kind right. of just a, right. a sense of you don't have to challenge him. He's on your side. They trust, you know, we trust you. And so that teacher had ownership, had authority, had the relationships uh, in that classroom. And even a young person who was brand spanking new, who was trying to figure out what, where are the guardrails, the other young people held uh, him to them.
0: That's the uh-huh. best support you can have is when it comes from the from rather than uh, from things that, you know, that you're telling the student. Um, I, there are six things here, and yep. I know you have said we've talked about personalizing behavior. You've touched a little bit or quite a bit on developing a relationship. Yep. Um, you touched on uh, the consequences of kicking students out of the classroom. Mm-hmm. So there are three left, and I want you to kind of go through those before we run out of time. Absolutely absolutely uh one is the time as the driving force in the classroom and and you mentioned the terms of being the compass of the moment and um, perhaps you can talk a little bit that and then talk about what you mean by implicit bias and this concept of passion
1: um so with uh the pressures on teachers to cover scope and sequence of Mm -hmm. content in their classroom um there's this intensity of, I got to cover this. Everyone's got to know it. I got, you know, that's going to be on the uh, Massachusetts comprehensive assessment system uh, test. And if I don't cover it, the students aren't going to be successful on this high stakes test, And and it just becomes this domino um, effect of uh, yes.
0: No, um, I, I was just going to say, I just had a thought that, um, I think sometimes teachers also feel, I know I did, that we're going to be judged as a teacher by how well our students do on these tests.
1: Absolutely. And mm-hmm. so that pressure is uh, really very powerful. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's, um, it's harmful to uh, the heart and soul of why young people um, Go to school, which is to become good citizens and and contributing citizens. And some of that is an exp, uh, is acting um, uh, on knowledge and understanding that you've developed in terms of the academic world. But some of it is equally uh, uh, um, as important is in terms of how we treat one another, how we act when we get upset, mm. how we behave uh, towards one, towards people, even if we don't really necessarily like them. But so, so this, this notion of, you know, the, the, the moment, um, the compass of any moment should be um, not just on uh, discrete knowledge, but it's also on uh, the, the heart and soul of education. Who are we as individuals? Who do we want to be? And how are we shaping that side by side with the technical knowledge and skills that schools have been very accustomed to and not letting time be what's driving your decisions. But again, it's about um, the, the community that we're trying to establish. So if you let time drive you, you make bad decisions.
0: Interesting, okay. Uh, you, you've already brought tremendous Passion to this discussion, so I, I don't think we need to, to talk about what you mean yeah. by passion and enthusiasm. Yeah. But I like the term implicit bias because mm-hmm. I'm, to me, it's almost like an oxymoron. Uh,
1: absolutely. So um, when, uh, when we think about what drives our actions and our behaviors, um, there are a set of um, mental models that we hold. About uh, the world at large, about education, about um, uh, people, and implicit bias is really about the um, attitudes or stereotypes that um, that impact our actions and how we treat one another in a way that we're not even aware of. So that's the implicit side of it. And that we have certain biases that, that, uh, that impact our thinking. So a great idea, a great notion of this is an old study. It's the, it's the Stanford prison study where, um, some people were randomly assigned prisoner roles. Some people randomly assigned, um, uh, guard roles hmm. and uh, w- they didn 't train them to be guards they didn 't train them to be prisoners, but they had a, a mental model of what those roles uh, meant and held and and what it meant for them and then they started to enact those biases or those mental mi- models towards um, in this case the guards towards the Prisoners wow. and the prisoners talked okay. towards the guards. So they had attitudes and stereotypes about these different roles that played out during this research study. So uh, in such a way that they had to stop the study hmm. because um, the guards were starting to uh, be very uh, punitive and demeaning towards the prisoners, and the prisoners were starting to um, act out in revolt and. Um, and so you had um, uh, these, these this enactment of certain beliefs that we held about these partic- particular groups. Now, in our s- in education in America, um, uh, most of our workforce are white, and most of our student population are. Youth of the global majority, and so there is um, a reality that well-meaning um, uh, white people who come from very different uh, backgrounds than many of the young people they teach, they hold certain implicit biases uh, about youth of the global majority, different youth of the global majority that will find their way into the classroom and the way they treat um, their students. And it's not mal, out, out of malintent, but it's about how we've all been uh, acculturated. And mm-hmm. it's really important. I think one of the greatest challenges of uh, facing teachers today is to be able to um, think about those biases uh, to, to reflect on where those biases might be playing into the decisions they make towards um, their students, towards the curriculum that they choose, uh-huh. towards the materials that they choose um, and how they react uh, to various students in their classroom. And I'll give you a quick story um, when I first started this work, we had, no, uh, we had very limited options for young people to pursue uh, college um, uh, classes uh, while they were with us, even if they had earned a high school diploma. And um, I realized that uh, what I would want for my son would be in high school that he was getting the message early and often that uh, he could do uh, college if he wanted to trade school, if he wanted to, but he could, he would need to pursue something after high school and that he was uh, valuable in that sense and able to. And I realized that we were not sending that message in our settings um, systemically and um, through the partnership with the department and uh, other community colleges, we now offer um, dual enrollment classes, uh, college classes for our students. And this college going m- or post secondary, you know, could be technical schools, um, that mentality, that mindset has penetrated our culture. And the contagious effect of seeing your peer across the hallway being successful in a college class has meant that I myself want to give it a go and these are young people who many of whom um, had not uh, had those messages in their public schools and I was reinforcing that um, not purposefully but mm-hmm. but by omission and, um, and it's something that uh, you know to your point earlier I'm fallible um, and <laughs> And we all were. We were all part of that. And our population has changed too, but I think it's been a big, um, uh, it's made a very positive effect on our entire programming.
0: That's a wonderful story. That is a wonderful story. And I, I would imagine, you know, the impact on some of these students is going to be felt down the road when, you know, when they get in touch with you, or when you read about some of their accomplishments. I think that's very exciting. And I hope that people who are listening can make that same offer to some of their kids, if their parents or their teachers, to their students or administrators, to the community as a whole, because that is a very strong motivating force when you find out that opportunities that you did not think were there for you are there for you. Woody, I want to thank you so much for joining us. This was such a good conversation, and I hope that our mentors who are listening are getting some very important information about how they too can address some of the behavior issues that they're having at home or at school. If someone wants to get in touch with you, how would they be able to do that?
1: Uh, so I can easily be reached at my, I would use my email at W Clift, C L I F is in Frank, T is in Tom at collaborative.org. And um, would love to hear from people. And I want to thank you for um, offering this, um, this podcast to uh, the listening public, because I think the, you can never get enough good ideas from the wisdom out in the field. And um, this is hard work. It's very hard work.
0: As and we found out all the times we tried. Huh? That's exactly
1: right. <laughs> and it's very rewarding. And um, I, I appreciate what you're doing.
0: Thank you and I appreciate your giving so much of your time. Thank you mentors for joining us. Please go to justeducationfirst.com and learn more about what we are trying to do, the library, the free library that we're trying to create for all uh, mentors of struggling students to go and get some direction in their quest for information. I wanna thank uh, Woody and all of our guests for giving so much of their time to help to create this library. Our podcasts are also, uh, will be on YouTube and iTunes and Spotify, as well as our website at justeducationfirst.com. Please subscribe so that you don't miss Uh, each of the um, podcasts that we'll be putting out. And then you can kind of investigate whether it's something that you're interested in. We have uh, a wonderful um, guest lineup of people Uh, who have offered to give us their time. I will just mention to you that we have kind of been bringing people onto the podcast uh, based on their availability. We are now going to try and create mini series to do a little more in depth uh, investigation on particular subjects. Our next subject coming up uh, middle of September into October will be on autism. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, If you have any suggestions of uh, topics or people that you would like to hear, thank you, mentors, for being with us today. If you found this podcast of value, please visit justeducationfirst.com to subscribe to our blog and mentorship and education podcast, so that you may continue the exploration with us. Our goal is to provide a free treasury of information for our listeners so they can become acquainted with the amazing resources that we have available to us. We want to thank all of our guests for giving their time and sharing their wealth of information with us. Please also visit their websites and explore more of their resources to further your pursuit of the topic. Hope to hear from you at justeducationfirst.com. Have a good week and thank you.